Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest. His name is, name is Ken Ami, A-M-M-I. He runs the True Free Thinker website, and he and I have done many, many interviews about his excellent books. But we're kind of going back into one of his earlier books. The title of the book is An Independent Investigation of the Baha'i Faith here in L.A. They have a kind of a Baha'i center right in the center of town. I've driven by it many times, but really didn't know the internal ideology of this group that came out of uh, really Middle Eastern or, or Eastern ideas. So Ken can talk more about that. So Ken, Ami, are you there? Yes, sir. How do you do, William? I'm doing well. Thanks for agreeing to the interview again. It's great to have you back as usual. Always, uh, always, we always seem to have these great uh, conversations. So for people who may not have heard your name or your books or your website, can you talk about kind of the arc of You've investigated so many different subjects, but your general kind of outlook and what led you to the Baha'i. Why the Baha'i faith? Right. So one of my guiding principles is that I became a confirmed skeptic at a very early age. And I mean a true and honest skeptic, not what many people nowadays mean by it. They mean a cynic. But a skeptic says, I won't believe until, and a cynic just says, I won't believe period. So, so as, a, as a Messianic Jewish Bible-believing skeptic, uh, part of what I've gotten into is just to researching worldviews, whatever form they come in, right? Religion, cults, atheism, you name it. And so I tend to do really deep dives when I conduct research and I have, as of the last few years, I end up coming out of those deep dives by producing a book because I figure if I'm gonna do a deep dive into research, I might as well publish my results, right? So right. some of my books are almost like I'm just sharing my research notes. <laughs> right, no, so my I, books are very yeah. similar actually. Right. I mean, in some ways, yeah. And just frankly, Right, exactly. So, and, and I prefer that kind of book that's just uh, very information based. Uh, of course, we as authors try to make it interesting to read our works as well, but they're ultimately nonfiction and research based. based. Yes. So now, I've been asked quite a few times how I got interested in the Baha'i faith or the, the Baha'i world faith, and I don't quite remember. Uh, it, and part of it is that it is a somewhat obscure religion, even though they have addressed the United Nations on several occasions and they have their, well, we'll get into how their, their main organization's head is in Israel, uh, but they still sort of fly under the radar. Most people have not even ever heard of them and they've been around since the late 1800s. So it's kind of interesting, but once I did, for some odd reason, latch on to them. Um, I remember attending the 100 year anniversary of their founder, not that he was still alive, but they were just celebrating his birth, right? And they had a speaker who used to be a, a Bible believing Christian, and now he was a Baha'i, and he was elucidating prophecies about the founder of Baha'ism from the Bible. And as I listened to him, I thought, wow, this is so uncontextual <laughs> and such reaches and such 
misapplications and misreadings and misinterpretations that I was hooked. I said, I've got to look into this because these people are buying stuff that's being sold to them. And it's very, very poor uh, theologically and logically and historically and so on. So that led me into what ended up being the book and an independent investigation of the Baha'i faith. And I titled that because one of their big claims to fame is that, hey, we invite you, and that's what they call it, to conduct an independent investigation. And so I did so, and the book is my results. And I go over just about everything you'd ever want to know from their history to their theology, to some of their uh, their ethics, to you name it. Right, and they have kind the of... <laughs> Right. So what is their history? Where did it start? Right. So the Baha'i faith is an offshoot of the Babi faith, and that developed as an offshoot of Sikhism, um, which developed as an offshoot of a group that its name, I've never heard anyone pronounce it. So I'll just say that it's AKA Twelver Shiism. Okay, so now that's an offshoot of Sufism and developed as an offshoot of Shia, which is a denomination of Islam. So in other words, it's an offshoot of an offshoot of an offshoot of an offshoot of Islam, just to, <laughs> to put it simply. It's and super now, watered down Islam in a way, I would say, almost. Yes, uh, well, but see... Um, it makes sense that they come from the Shia or Shiite branch of Islam because that means that they are going to allow for prophets beyond Muhammad, right? So in other words, Shia allows for prophets to come after Muhammad. So that's important and that's what we get in Baha'ism is a claim of a continuance of prophethood after Muhammad. So their claim is that every now and then God sends humanity a prophet and the prophet promulgates their message and it gets incorporated, but eventually it becomes corrupted and then the next prophet has to come and re-reveal God's message for that day and it gets incorporated, it gets corrupted and on it goes in these cycles. Now, so generally, uh, Baha'ism claims nine what they call manifestations of God and they are Abraham, Krishna, Moses, Zoroaster, Buddha, Christ, Muhammad, the Bab, and Baha'u'llah. Uh, now individual Baha'is sometimes take it upon themselves to just add to that list their favorite, right? I mean I've even seen somebody uh, throw crazy horse into the list. So it's just kind of up for grabs. But these, these are the nine official prophets, the, the official manifestations of, of God. So let's just uh, backtrack a little bit because the most uh, relevant ones are Sayyid or Mirza Ali Muhammad. And he's the one that came to be known as the Bab. Okay, now the Bab was born in 1819, and he founded the Babi faith. So one of his, the reason he's relevant here is because, because in um, 19, uh, sorry, in 1844, he proclaimed that a manifestation of God would come in 
generally Baha'is claim that he prophesied 19 years, but some sources have 1,511 years. Uh, let them fight that out amongst themselves. The point is that the Bab claimed that a manifestation of God would come relatively, uh, well, again, it depends on which view you take. The official Baha'i view is kind of strange because what if if he did prophesy in 19 years, that would mean the Bab's message would be incorporated, uh, become a world religion, and then become corrupted so that the next manifestation would have to come, all of that within 20 years, which is pretty, pretty bizarre. Especially if you look at how they're jumping from the time of Abraham and Krishna then to Moses, Zoroaster, Buddha, Christ, Muhammad. So, I mean, sometimes you have centuries, if not millennia, between prophets where this claim would be that it was very quickly. Yeah, regardless, okay. Now, uh, Mirza Hussein Ali is the founder of Baha'ism, and he never actually met the Bab. And the Bab never actually proclaimed him as having been the prophet of whom he spoke. But uh, so Mirza Hussein Ali became known as Baha'u'llah, uh, which means the glory of Allah. Okay, so he's the founder. He lived uh, 1817 to 1892. And, and this was all taking place at, during, the, during the Ottoman Empire, right? So right, it's taking right. place under a completely different political environment than is in Politi the Middle East today. <clears throat> political environment and also religious environment because these guys are coming out of uh, offshoots of Islam. So when they start proclaiming another prophet, a significant portion of the Muslim population would instantly have a huge problem with that. Like I said, the Shia would be more likely to pay attention to them. But... Um, there's significant portions of Islam that would absolutely reject what they had to say. So there was a lot of problems, political. Right. The, the Sunnis believe, right. Sunnis believe that it's uh, Muhammad was the final prophet, right? right. So there's nothing yes. to come after. Right. Nothing the Sunnis would to. say that uh, he was the seal of the prophets. Like after that prophethood, prophethood was sealed up, it's done with. So, and this was in the Persian area, by the way. Right. And These so, are Persians, too. So I think the founder, right. Bob, was a Persian. Yeah. Right, right. And um, so there was a lot of early persecution of the Babis and the Baha'is uh, for those two reasons, political and uh, religious. Political mostly because um, there was an assassination attempt on the Shah. And it was perpetrated by Bobby's, so that that was <laughs> that was extremely problematic, to say the least. But now, for our purposes, the main thing to note about Baha'u'llah, for our purposes, meaning uh, William and I being Christians, right, right, is that he claimed to be the fulfillment of all prophecy of all religions. Okay, and so he claimed amongst other things, to be the return of Christ. He claimed to be the second coming of Christ. So that's incredibly important, to say the least, to us. And when I've lectured on Baha'ism, in front of a crowd of Christians, I was very straight up. I said, look, if Baha'u'llah is the return of Christ, then every Christian should convert to Baha'ism. Straight up. That's how simple it is for me. 
Uh, but it just so happens that there's absolutely no way. So no, don't worry about that. Uh, <laughs> uh, in short, uh, the way I put it is that Baha'ism bit off more than their theology could chew. Because if you can just attempt to think about one person fulfilling prophecy from every major religion, um, that's sort of like pu pu putting all that prophecy into a blender and turning it on. It just makes an enormous mess. And what you end up with isn't anything even close to an actual fulfillment of prophecy, but having to water things down and manipulating text. And I mean, you can just try to imagine how what a challenge that would be. And now uh, Baha'u'llah came up with a doctrine called most great infallibility where he claimed that if anyone after his time within a thousand years claimed to be a prophet, then they would actually instantly be identified as a false prophet. So he kind of, in my mind, he was redefining the thousand year reign of Christ and also establishing that um, within a thousand years of his time, nobody could claim to be a prophet or a manifestation after him, right? Right. So now, after him, um, his son, Abbas Effendi, who came to be known as Abdul Baha, and is known as the servant of the glory, he was considered the infallible interpreter of his dad's teachings, of Baha'u'llah's teachings, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, after him, was Abdul Baha's grandson, Shoghi Effendi Rabbani. He's known as the guardian. And Shoghi is very important because one of the main features of the Baha'i faith is that you are required to have a last will and testament. But Shoghi Effendi failed to do that. And that has caused problems that haunt Baha'ism to this day. Because after him, there were various people claiming to be, well, I'm supposed to be the new, what they call guardian, right? I'm supposed to be the new head of Baha'ism. And since there was no official word from Shoghi Effendi, then it was kind of left for them to fight it out in a manner of speaking. And so a bunch of uh, sects developed, sects of Baha'ism. Now, um, <laughs> One interest, and now I'll grant you that the Baha'i world faith or the Baha'i faith is the major sect or denomination. There's no question about that. But that is a historical fact that there were various people claiming that they were the next in line. And there's still those groups around. But one thing I did in the book is I wrote a Baha'i dictionary or a glossary because I realized that you, you really have to understand the kind of language they use because when they say certain things, you think you understand their meaning because in common English, it would mean a certain thing, but they always have their own spin on it or they're double talking or they mean something completely different. So I'll give you uh, an example. In this case, they claim that one of the unique features of their religion is that they have no denominations, no schisms, no offshoots, no sects, nothing, just perfect unity. But the only way they can actually claim that is to say that, well, anyone who claims to be a Baha'i but is not of the main Baha'i world faith is automatically excommunicated. 
So therefore, we're perfectly unified. <laughs> gotcha. uh, so basically, they just redefine their their schisms and their sects, and by just proclaiming that they're not true followers, then they can claim perfect unity, which is kind of a fascinating way to get around verifiable facts otherwise, right? So this main body of uh, the Baha'i world faith has what they call the universal house of justice, and that's their international administration whose proclamations are considered infallible. So you had, of course, Baha'u'llah himself being considered infallible and his son Abdu'l-Baha considered infallible and Shoghi Effendi as the guardian infallible. And then it stopped going individual to individual, but it was the infallibility was put into the, uh, the members of the Universal House of Justice. And let me just point out another one of those weird Baha'i things is they claim that one of the unique features of their religion is that they preach and practice perfect uh, tolerance and perfect unity. So that, for instance, there's perfect uh, equality amongst males and females. But it's a fact that the Universal House of Justice has always consisted of nine members and they are only male because that is Baha'i law. No women are allowed to serve in the Universal House of Justice. And that's uh, the building is in Haifa, Israel, by the way. Now, under that an international administration are what they call national spiritual assemblies. And under that are local spiritual assemblies. So that's how they kind of go from the, the top down. Gotcha. And I mean, it is fascinating. So it's all grown up. It stays in Israel. They have very nice like uh, temples and buildings all over the world, right? So they're yeah, very... Right. If you look up Baha'i temples, they are absolutely gorgeous building in terms of architecture. I mean, I would say that uh, they're whitewashed sepulchers, but they are pretty sepulchers. Right. And they're whitewashed sepulchers in a lot of ways. They have very, very strange uh, global ideas that are similar to the UN's aims, correct? Before the yes, UN. It, right. In fact, let me just... Uh, I'm going to read you a quote. This is Shoghi Effendi, okay, the infallible guardian during his day, quoted in a magazine that's published by the Baha'i Faith called The Baha'is, a profile of the Baha'i Faith and its worldwide community. And this is from the Baha'i International Community, 1994. And here's what they say, all right? Uh, by the way, there's some ellipsis points in this quote, and that's just so I didn't have to read like two entire pages, but it's perfectly contextual. So it says that one of the main goals of their faith is to establish a new world order, and that's actually a quotation. I'm not just uh, characterizing it. So here's the quotation. A world commonwealth in which all nations, races, creeds, and classes are closely and permanently united, a world legislature whose members will ultimately control the entire resources of all the component nations, a world executive backed by, inter by an international force, a world tribunal, 
a mechanism of world intercommunication, a world metropolis will act as the nerve center of a world civilization. A world language will either be invented or chosen from among the existing languages, a world script, a world literature, currency, weights and measures, a world federal system ruling the whole earth and exercising unchallengeable authority over its unimaginably vast resources. So basically anything that they can imagine standardizing across the world, that's their goal. And, you know, on the surface, um, it would make a lot of sense and it sounds great, okay? Forget all this having to convert currency and measurements and having different governments infighting and causing wars and all that. I mean, it sounds wonderful. Uh, but for one, it, <laughs> it kind of goes, goes against human nature. And one time I was in a meeting with the uh, members of the Baha'i faith and just as graciously as I could, I asked them, how is it that the goals of their religion are essentially the goals of a character that's popularly referred to as the Antichrist that you find um, spoken of, um, not in those terms, but the concept is there in the book of Revelation that will have a one world religion, right? A one world government. How come their goals are the same? So that's a slight issue, I think, when uh, dealing with, with Bible believers and, and what the Baha'i faith are, have as the main goal of their religion. Yeah, no, it's pretty incredible. And they kind of have a perennial view, perennial religion view of the world. So there's all this wisdom everywhere and they are the continuation of that kind of world history, a world religious figure. So they believe in the matria, right? So they don't talk about the return of Christ in a Christian sense. They just see him as one of the great teachers in a kind of very Islamic worldview. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, very interesting points. So for one, um, they don't officially, okay, and the official writings of Baha'u'llah, for example, Bob, they don't refer to Maitreya, but if you read about what people claim about the Maitreya, it's the same exact thing, right? The Maitreya comes and fulfills prophecy from all the world's religions to, to establish um, the, the latest revelation. It's the same exact thing. So now what I noticed is uh, when you look at the earliest writings, um, well, certainly the Bab, uh, but also Baha'u'llah and then uh, Abbas Effendi, um, I'm sorry, Abdu'l-Baha. They were extremely Islamic. I mean, everything they wrote was basically, not everything, let's say 99% of stuff they wrote um, touched upon Islamic theology, right? But then as they started encroaching into the West, all of a sudden their books uh, become more biblical. Hmm. And they even made a point to say that they wanted to translate Baha'u'llah's works into a very King James Bible-like form of English, right? Because then it would become instantly more sort of um, contextually relevant Acceptable to, to Western speakers. Yeah. 
Right. Right. But now, I think one of the most important things to note about them is that, again, so they claim, look, uh, Baha'ism is made up of Jews and Christians and Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and you name it, any religion under the sun, Baha'is are made up of all of them. But that's not true. It's made up of people who have converted away from those religions and converted to Baha'ism. Because one of the secrets of Baha'ism is that they're not actually syncretistic. They're pseudo-syncretistic. So syncretism referring to um, a sort of mashing together and working together of various belief systems. But that's not what they do. What they do is to say, well, look, Judaism is corrupted, Christianity is corrupted, Islam is corrupted, Buddhism is corrupted, all of it's corrupted, and the only game in town right, right now is Baha'ism. In fact, let me quote you from Baha'i.org, an official website of theirs, and this is from the Baha'i World, an article titled On Good and Evil, and it's they off, say... It's off. It's Sorry, it's please continue. Okay. No, no, sir. Yeah, 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 okay. Uh, the quotation here, the only salvation in any age Baha'is believe is to turn again towards God and to accept his manifestation for that day and follow his teachings. So that's how simple it is. If you want to be saved today, you have to accept Baha'u'llah and follow his teachings. It's that simple. It's not universalism. <laughs> it, it is um, extremely exclusivistic. You must follow Baha'ism. And that's from an official Baha'i source. Okay, so that's what I mean about having to write like a dictionary or glossary into the book because it's all too easy to listen to their uh, very welcoming sounding uh, tolerant and diversity celebrating uh, PR marketing statements. But when you actually start digging into what they actually claim, it, it's a very, very different ballgame, honestly. Yeah, no, I mean, so they uh, superficially say that they're, they, you know, there's the, all this wisdom and all these different manifestations of God and all these people are manifestations. But currently you've got to come under the Baha'i outlook, right? Right. So, yeah, there is all that wisdom, but it's been corrupted. So the only way to, to really be able to get what is the leftovers that are pure is to listen to Baha'u'llah and how he characterized and interpreted and applied everything. Right. And they have all kinds of uh, pretty intense kind of rigorous fasting prayer, 20 percent tithe. I mean, it's very different than kind of anything in the West, right? And they, they, yeah, so they don't have a monasticism and things like that. Can you talk kind of more about their practices? Well, what's interesting is if you look at Bobism, right, the, the religion of the Bob, he was, <laughs> he was doing some really interesting and I would say occult things uh, pertaining to numerology and sigils and that kind of stuff, because again, when we think about that their background includes Sufism, 
then you're dealing with Islamic mysticism. So that kind of just uh, was perpetuated by the Bab. And uh, I mean, it's kind of toned down a bit in Baha'ism, but for example, for them, the number 19 is very, very meaningful. And so they have a lot of uh, traditions and practices wrapped around that. Right, and their whole calendar is totally different than the, the, what is it, the moon calendar that's based on Islam and the Western calendar. Right, yeah, they, they, right, they have, they develop their own sort of sacred calendar. And, um, yeah, along the lines of um, the, the usage of words, for example, they, they claim that they don't have missionaries. Again, they always claim that, well, a unique feature of our religion is, and then they'll make a statement that makes them sound really good. So they claim they don't have missionaries, but you know what they do have? They have pioneers. And you know what the difference is between a, a, re, a pioneer and a missionary? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> it's nothing. So uh, the, the thing they do is this. They say, well, look, a missionary, that implies somebody who forcefully converts people. And we don't do that. We have pioneers. Well, that's obviously a very um, myopic view of what it means to be a missionary. But again, it's just an example of how they make these claims, but if you just inspect them a little bit, you end up <laughs> you end up with a whole different story, don't you? Yeah, and I think that Baha'ism is actually not alone in these kind of uh, kind of new religions that popped up out of Islam. Like Christianity has so many different variants, and you could argue that Baha'i is one, but I can't remember. I think the head of the who is the head of Syria, they're part of kind of an Islamic offshoot. So there's these offshoots that exist um, within Islam, Baha'i being one of them. So it's not alone in its things, but this would be, I mean, their fatwas were issued against Baha'ism, if I remember correctly. It's persecuted in a lot of countries in the Middle East, and I can't remember. Yeah, I mean, it, it is pretty yeah, remarkable. Yeah, yeah. So it's but persecuted. The, yeah. Go ahead. But you know what's interesting is the late 1800s was like a cult factory, right? And I mean, in America, that is when Mormonism began and Seventh-day Adventism began and Jehovah's Witnesses began and quite a few other uh, Christian cults. Uh, just like in the Middle East, you had Babism, you had Baha'ism, you did have all these different cults of Islam coming about. So it's kind of, I don't know what on earth was going on in the late 1800s. <laughs> yeah, but, no, uh, in various parts of the world, you did have all these new cults arising, whether it's out of Christianity or Islam. I mean, in either way, that that was happening all over the place. I think it was Alawite is the is the is like a sect of Shia too. That that is the one that I remember that Bashar al-Assad is part of. So they're like an offshoot too, and they have all kinds of they consider it Gnosticism and things like that. It's very strange. Yeah, That's a whole other story. Yeah, I mean, I do have a chapter I titled uh, Necromancy, the Occult in Baha'ism. So I talked about their necromancy, their uh, repetitive prayers, and their prayers too, Baha'u'llah, and their use of talismans. So there's a lot of um, 
pretty occultic stuff involved in there as well. Once it gets up, I mean, didn't the original Bob consider himself the Matria or the Mahdi or something like that? Like, so he claimed upon himself a pretty bold title, if I remember correctly. Well, right. That's that's the thing is that he is um, considered to have been one of the main. Again, I have to just emphasize officially Baha'is tend to list nine quote-unquote manifestations of God and the Bob is one of them. That's what I was saying. It's so weird that a manifestation of God would come and within two decades a new manifestation of God would come because before that it had taken centuries if not millennia from one to the other. Right for for one set of teachings to be incorporated worldwide enough to be God's word on earth, and then eventually become corrupted to the point where God was sending another messenger. Right. But yeah, the Bob is supposed to have been one of them. Right. So it's it's pretty incredible, and I mean, there is another offshoot. Very. I mean, my understanding is they have because they're tithing so much, they're like Mormons. So the institution itself has. Uh, a lot of resources they're involved with the un they're in geneva trying to influence you know kind of almost like a cult uh i mean you can, i don't know what what your definition is of a cult a cult not or a cult C -O -T, <laughs> but they kind of act like a cult trying to guide uh countries and nations into you know coming together as they see fit would you agree with that yeah. yes i mean for me a cult is a group that ends up becoming so different from its roots that it's categorizable as a whole different entity. So like in this case, when you have an offshoot of an offshoot of an offshoot of an offshoot of Islam, that ends up saying, guess what? Yes, Muhammad was a manifestation of God, but the modern one is Baha'u'llah, so you have to follow what he says. Then you're talking about a whole different ball game, right? Yeah. And just like in Christianity, when you have them saying, look, Baha'u'llah is the second coming of Christ. Okay, well, that's not in keeping with Christianity, so you have to call it a cult because it's so vastly different right. than anything that could be even imagined to be biblical or traditional Christian, that it has to be categorized as a cult or an aberrant group or what have you. And something I, I thought to, thought something I thought to mention that's related to that is the difficulty in even ascertaining how many Baha'is there are. And I ran into this in my research and ran into that even Baha'i scholars are complaining that that is a traditionally very, very difficult issue. Now, I wrote this book long enough ago that I was quoting a stat from 1994 where they claimed that there were 5 million Baha'is. And frankly, I haven't bothered updating that because I'll tell you what the issue is and what the Baha'i scholars complain about, is that in order to be counted as a member of the Baha'i faith, you have to fill out a card that you then turn into... Um, whatever organization you're involved in. So it could be the local spiritual assembly or the national spiritual assembly, but regardless, they'll send that card to the universal house of justice. And then you're officially on the record 
as a member of the Baha'i faith. However, if you ever want to convert away from Baha'ism, if you no longer want to be a member of the Baha'i faith, they expect you to do it in writing. Hmm. So that you have to go through the same process in reverse, essentially. Submit uh, a, some kind of a statement and have it be officially channeled up to the Universal House of Justice so they officially remove you. But how many people bother doing that? How many just say, you know what, I'm not into this anymore. I'm just not going to show up anymore. That kind of thing, right? They're not going to bother going through official channels when they want to be done with it. So that makes it so that nobody actually knows how many people who are uh, enumerated as being Baha'is are actually Baha'i or right. still active. That like, Nobody can really know that. Like functioning, functioning, yeah. It's like like right. some of these other groups, Scientology, they don't even know the real membership, the real practicing membership of some of these groups. Right. Um, Lee Veltman is asking about the Desert Rose Institute. I think it's a Baha'i group in Arizona and the Great Council Fires. Have you ever heard anything about that? Desert Rose does not sound familiar. I looked it up online. It's a community-based learning center of learning guided by Baha'i practices that's somewhere in Arizona. I've never heard that. What do you know, Lee? I don't know. Can you type that in the uh, chat? I'm not yeah. familiar with the Great Council Fires either. I did a certain amount of research into the various, like I mentioned, the various schisms and sects, and I have in the book, but the Desert Rose would sound like um, almost like a human potential type of group that would derive some of its philosophy from Baha'ism, but I wouldn't think that they're an actual uh, sect or anything official. Off the top of my head, anyhow. Um. What else do you think you could add? What else do I miss? Anything you want to just finish up? Where can people find the book? Well, I'll tell you what I did uh, with the book. It is a magnum opus. Um, basically, anything you'd want to know about Baha'ism is in there. And so the book, of course, it's available on Amazon, but it is always best to buy from independent researchers and authors such as myself, because it's just, uh, and William Ramsey, <laughs> Thanks. because uh, obviously Amazon takes uh, quite a cut of the loot. But what I ended up doing also is for people who just wanted a quicker read and just related to Baha'ism and Christianity, what I did is I published a side book that's just pertaining to Baha'ism and what they have to say and how they interact or conflict with Christianity. So that's really two books. One of them is definitely uh, a quicker read than the other one. Gotcha. Yeah. So you've got two different books and it's on your website, truefreethinker.com, correct? And yes, you just kind of redid or upgraded the website so people can go check that out. It's very ah, yes. clear to read. And you can also sign up for Ken's newsletter there, True, right? At True Free Thinker, right? Well, no, you know what? It's not a newsletter, it's just a subscription. So anytime I post something, you just get an auto email saying, hey, True Free Thinker posted something. That's it. I don't bother anybody. Gotcha. So you know it's fun. You know it's fun. So we both own websites, right? So I'm sure you get your fair share of spam email through your site, right? Certainly, certainly, yeah. So you know what I've been doing? <laughs> when I get spam email, I take that email address 
and I subscribe them to my website. <laughs> nice. So it goes right back at them. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. I got to try that. It's smart. Yeah. <laughs> Great. I mean, that was really interesting. I mean, it's really a fascinating kind of new religion. Comes out of the East, has this whole matria. There's actually, like we in the West kind of take for granted there are all kinds of return of Christ uh, promises, whether it's a Seventh-day Adventist and all of this thing that really have influenced Western theological culture. But I would say this group, as far as the East, they're part of actually a lot of uh, matriarch stuff that is happens on actually all over, like from Buddhism is a very pre predominant strain of the return of this, you know, an avatar really, uh, a matria. So you see that within Boxer Rebellion, where, like all these matria sects actually influence political events. Um, in the East that a lot of people don't know. And it's this promise of the, this return of this, uh, you know, great teacher or, or awaited one or something like that. So that's, I see the Baha'i kind of more of a, in that strain in kind of the Eastern sense than Western. So really fascinating. Exactly. So why bother claiming that the leader of your religion is just the leader of your religion? Why not claim that he's actually the leader of all world religions that have all been prophesying that one person who can do it all, right? Right. He slices, I mean, he dices, he chops, he blends. Right. I mean, that's kind of what Muhammad did too, though, right? He saw, he actually wrote Islam into other world religions and then claimed he was the last prophet of those religions, right? Well, Isn't right. That like his resumption? Saying, yeah. yeah. Like in the Quran saying, ask the people of Al-Kitab, right? Ask the people of the book. If you want to know whether I'm a true prophet, ask the Jews and the Christians. Well, if he's the true prophet after the Jew, the Jewish Torah and Tanakh and the Christian New Testament, well, then obviously we're supposed to be listening to him. Right. I mean, yeah. there you go. You can just absorb all those people. Um, yeah, and I think that kind of a lot of these guys, presumptions, I think Joseph Smith, he's the returned prophet, right? The new prophet. There's all kinds of uh, these new religions take upon themselves the loftiest right. of titles. Well, we'll see, Joseph Smith is a perfect example of the sort of new cults in the late 1800s who just like Baha'ism, just like Baha'u'llah, said, well, sure, uh, the New Testament and the Bible are God's word, but I'm here to restore what has been corrupted. So now you have to listen to me, right? Right, there you go. I mean, I think that Muhammad supposedly made that uh, statement too, that I'm, the, I'm returning something or I'm restoring the true religion. Something I think that that's within his fundamental teachings. I got to go back and check that out. Maybe you would know that. But yeah, so well, these guys have the same kind of same kind of world uh, plan, individual plan to right. Because if something's already in place, you have to find a way to claim that it's uh, it was accredited and now it's become discredited, and now I'm the new guy on the block. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, some things change, some things stay the same. It's like the same thing. Same thing. Once you start looking over these world religions, you just like, you got to leave your kind of scratch your head. Like, well, I mean, think about uh, what Eve was told in the garden. Has God truly said? Well, you think you know what God said, but let me set you straight on that. <laughs> and yeah, nothing's well changed since then. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great way to end it. Again, The Great Kin of Me, again, the title of the book is An Independent Investigation of the Baha'i Faith. You can find it at truefreethinker.com. Thank you so much. Thank you, William, and thank you, audience. All right. Stay there. God bless you all. Stay there. God bless.